I'm Amelia Gonzalez. It's late September, and every student and teacher is settled back in school. Today, we bring you a special coming to us from Hearing Voices titled Old School, hosted by Katie Davis. It marks going back to school by giving us perspectives from students and teachers alike. Stay tuned. I'm Katie Davis, and this is Old School, a Hearing Voices special. From Canada, here's poet Marin Cadell. Girls, I know you will understand this and feel the intrinsic incredible emotion. You have just pulled over your head the worn, warm sweater belonging to a boy. Now you haven't had a passionate kissing session or anything, but you got to go on a camping trip with him and eight other people from school. And you practically slept together, your sleeping bag right next to his. And you woke in the night to watch him as he slept, but you couldn't see anything because it was dark. So you just lay there and listened to his breathing and wondered if your heart might burst. The sweater has that slightly goat-like smell which all teenage boys possess. And that smell will lovingly transfer to all your other clothes. If you get to keep it for a few days, you can sleep with it, but don't let your mom see because she'll say, what is that filthy thing and who does it belong besides this trash man? So you to keep it under the covers with you. You can kind of fly it beside you or wrap it around your waist or touch it on your legs or whatever, but that's your business. Now, if the sweater has, like, reindeer on it or is a funny color like yellow, I'm sorry, you can't get away with a sweater like that. Look for brown or gray or blue. Anything other than that, and you know you're dealing with someone who's different. And different is not what you're looking for. You're looking for those teenage, alpine, ski, chiseled features and that sort of blank look which passes for deep thought or at least the notion that someone's home. You're looking for the boy of your dreams who is the same boy in the dreams of all of your friends. Now, the sweater isn't going to fit you, of course. You have to kind of roll up the sleeves in a jaunty way that says, this is the sweater belonging to a boy, and the boy is a genuine hunk, a hunk of burn in love, and this is not just some hand-me-down from your brother or your father. Monday, wear the sweater to school. Be calm, look cute. Don't tell the dream ahead about the place the two of you would share when you get older. Just be yourself. The best, cutest, quietest version of yourself. Definitely when it's He looks at you, and he looks away, and then he walks away, and the smell of the sweater hits you again, suddenly like ape-scent gloriola, and you get a note passed to you by a girl in history that says he needs his sweater back. He forgot that you put it on in the tent on Saturday, and he's been looking for it. And you don't have to die of humiliation, you know. You are a strong person, and this is a learning experience. You can still hold your head up high as you run from the classroom, tearing the stinking sweater from your body. You look at that sweater, carefully, and you realize that love made you temporarily blind. You got a secret now, honey, and though you would never sink as low as him, you could blab it all over the school if you wanted. The label in that sweater said 100% acrylic. I would describe myself as nice. Nice and quiet. Quiet also. Um, smart. Um, quiet again. <laughs> yeah. I guess the first time I realized I was quiet was when people started pointing it out, like in junior high, and like asking me, why don't you talk? I heard that question many times why are you so quiet 
really the main reason I'm so quiet is I don't like anybody to know anything about me. That way, I don't have to worry about being hurt by friends, being hurt by family. I'm in my own world. Just leave me alone. And um, I think other kids think that I'm judging them because, like, they don't see me as, like, cursing in the house or something, as some people do. When the bell goes off and people are, like, talking to their friends, socializing, going to their lockers, it's like um, I'm in a bubble or something, and the others are, like, all around me, but I'm not joining them. But there are some people like me, so I don't really think I'm by myself. I kind of, like, crouch down and like try to walk by not being seen. I'm walking alone, I feel isolated. Be like, the whole world's in black and white, but then I'll just be in the crowd, just in color. I always wait until everybody else goes to class, like I go to class. Cause I don't like being crowded around a whole bunch of people. I wanna be like in the shallows, in the backstage. They, like, call me the stupid quiet kid because, like, at lunch, I sit there the whole time until lunch is over and just walk out. Some people, they don't realize you're there until you leave. So maybe I want people, like, to notice that I am there. Like, what if I won't ever get loud? Um, I mean, I guess one of the things is dating. Like, what if that never happens? Or with teaching, if that's what I want to do in the future, like, what if I can't get up in front of a class of students and be able to talk and explain things without getting nervous and, and I guess, just not being able to do what I want to do? Like, if my wife, if she talks a lot and I'm quiet, I'm fine with that because it'll be easier for her. If I express myself better... Maybe I would be a better person and um, not, like, defend myself, but just, like, say that wasn't nice what you just said. Just to say that would be nice. That was Heidi Kreiss, Jeff Maldonado, Fabian Waldemarium, and Lavelle Fleming. Producer Hilary Frank spoke with them for the WBEZ series, Chicago Matters. Coming up, another history lesson from teacher and slam poet Taylor Molly. But first, math class with Toronto poet and DJ Jelani. Nine kids, nine histories, each one of them black. Let's talk about the first one. Now, his name was Jack. Now, Jack sold crack to kid number two. Let's hope that none of these kids was you. Kid two needed money, so he robbed kid three. It just so happens that kid there was me. Now, kid number four and kid number five said that we needed a crew in order to survive. Yo, kid number three was down with that. Because remember, he had just recently been jacked. So they formed a crew and called it posse. Marked their turf and scouted for enemies. Now, kid six lived in their territory but wasn't down with the crew. So you know the story. Kids three, four, and five terrorized kid six. So kid six was forced to get into the mix. He 
went to his cousin who already had a gun. It just so happens his cousin was Kid 1 who started this whole mess in the first place. Kid 1 and Kid 6 went and shot Kid 4. Kid 7 was an informant and sent police to Kid 1's door. That left Kid 6 on the block without protection from Kids 3 and Kid 5, so you know they were flexing. The crew had gotten larger by this time. Now it included Kid 8 and Kid 9. The authorities looked and said it was good. And that's the ghettoization of Vaughn and Oakwood. Have you ever seen a Viking ship made out of popsicle sticks and balsa wood, coils of brown thread for the miniature ropes? Oars made out of chopsticks and a red and yellow sail made from a baby's footy pajamas? I have. He died with his sword in his hand and so went straight to heaven. The Vikings often buried their bravest warriors in ships or set them adrift and on fire, a floating island of flame, the soul of the brave warrior rising slowly with the smoke. In order to understand life in Scandinavia in the Middle Ages, you have to understand the Viking ship. So here's what I want you to do. The entire class must build me a miniature Viking ship. You have a month. And you must work together like warriors. <laughs> These are the projects that I am known for as a history teacher, like the Egyptian Pyramid Project. Have you ever seen a family of four gathered around a card table after dinner, each member of the family holding one triangular side of a miniature cardboard Egyptian pyramid until the glue finally dried? <laughs> I haven't either, but Mrs. Steinberg said that even with one brother on one side saying, this is dumb, Tony, this is a dumb project, you're going to fail this project. If I get Mr. Molly next year, my pyramid's going to be much better than this. And Tony on the other side saying, shut up, shut up, you little guy. No, don't let go until the glue dries or I'm going to kill you. It was the best family time that they had spent since Christmas. He died with his sword in his hand and so went straight to heaven, which the Vikings called Valhalla. Mr. Molly, if that's true, if you died with your sword in your hand, you went straight to Valhalla, then if you were like an old Viking and you were going to die of old age, could you keep your sword right by your bed so if you felt like you were going to die, you could reach out and just grab it? <laughs> if I were a Viking god, I don't think I would fall for that. But if I were a Viking, that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> Tony Steinberg had been missing from school for two months before we finally found out what was wrong. And then the 12 other boys in the classroom whispered the name of the disease as if you could catch it from saying it too loud. We'd been warned. The middle school head had come to class and said that Tony was going to try to come to school on Friday morning for a visit. But he's had a rough time. The medication he is taking has made all of his hair fall out. So nobody point, nobody stare, and nobody laugh. I always said that I liked teaching in a private school because I could talk about God in the classroom and not be breaking the law. 
And for an Episcopalian kid who only went to church on Christmas and Easter, I sure talk about God a lot in the classroom. Yes, in history class, that's easy. I mean, even the Egyptian pyramid project is essentially a spiritual undertaking. But how can you teach geometry and not believe in a God? A God of perfect mathematical planes and geometric points. A God surrounded by archangels and right angles of varying degrees. Such a God would not give cancer to a seventh grade boy. Such a God would not make his hair fall out from chemotherapy, totally bald on a Friday morning in a jacket and tie. And I don't just mean Tony Steinberg. Not one single boy in my class had hair. The other 12 had all shaved their heads in solidarity. Have you ever seen 13 bald-headed seventh graders in jackets and ties all pointing at each other, all staring at each other, and all, all laughing? It is a beautiful sight, almost as striking as 12 seventh grade boys, six weeks later, now with crew cuts, outside the synagogue, holding hands, heads bowed, circled around the smoldering remains of a miniature Viking ship, the soul of the brave warrior rising slowly with the smoke. He says the problem with teachers is what's a kid going to learn from someone who decided that his best option in life was to become a teacher? <laughs> Poet and teacher, Taylor Molly. He reminds the other dinner guests that you know it's true what they say about teachers. Those who can, do. And those who can't, teach. <laughs> I decide to bite my tongue instead of his. And resist the urge to remind the other dinner guests that it's also true what they say about lawyers because we're eating, after all. And this is supposed to be polite conversation. I mean, you're a teacher, Taylor. Come on, be honest. What do you make? And I wish you hadn't done that. Asked me to be honest. Because, you see, I have this little policy in my classroom about honesty and ass-kicking, which is if you ask for it, then I have to let you have it. You want to know what I make? I make kids work harder than they ever thought they could. I can make a C-plus feel like a Congressional Medal of Honor. And I can make an A-minus feel like a slap in the face. How dare you waste my time with anything less than your very best. I make kids sit through 40 minutes of study hall in absolute silence. No, you may not work in groups. No, you cannot ask me a question. So put your hand down. Why won't I let you go to the bathroom? Because you're bored. And you don't really have to go to the bathroom, do you? I make parents tremble in fear when I call home at around dinner time. Hi, this is Mr. Molly. I hope I haven't called at a bad time. I just wanted to talk to you about something that your son said today. To the biggest bully in the class, he said, leave that kid alone. I still cry sometimes, don't you? And it was the noblest act of courage that I have ever seen. I make parents see their children for who they are and who they can be. You want to know what I make? I make kids wonder. I make them question. I make them criticize. I make them apologize and mean it. I make them write, write, write. And then I make them read. I make them spell. Definitely beautiful. Definitely beautiful. 
beautiful, definitely beautiful, definitely be a beautiful, until they will never misspell either one of those words again. I make them show all their work in math class and then hide it on their final drafts in English. I make them realize that if you've got this, then you follow this. And if somebody ever tries to judge you based on what you make, you give them this. Here, let me break it about you. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind. You will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they've faded. But trust me, in 20 years, you'll look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You are not as fat as you imagine. Don't worry about the future or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind, the kind that blindsides you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. Do one thing every day that scares you. Sing. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. The race is long. And in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Stretch. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your needs. You'll miss them when they're gone. Maybe you'll marry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have children. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. Maybe you'll dance the funky chicken on your 75th wedding anniversary. Whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much. Or berate yourself either. Your choices are half chance. So are everybody else's. Enjoy your body. Use it every way you can. Don't be afraid of it or what other people think of it. It's the greatest instrument you'll ever own. Dance. Even if you have nowhere to do it but in your own living room. Read the directions, even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Brother and sister, together we'll make it through.
California once, but leave before it makes you soft. Travel. Accept certain inalienable truths. Prices will rise. Politicians will philander. You too will get old. And when you do, you'll fantasize that when you were young, prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Respect your elders. Don't expect anyone else to support you. Maybe you have a trust fund. Maybe you'll have a wealthy spouse. But you never know when either one might run out. Don't mess too much with your hair, or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. Be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of. Pushing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts, and recycling it for more than it's worth. But trust me, I'm the sunscreen. Those words come from Mary Smeech of the Chicago Tribune, performed by actor Lee Perry. The singer is Quentin Tarver. The music from the film William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Filmmaker Boz Lerman produced those thoughts on getting through. Eventually, you do get through, through the day, the year, through sixth grade, junior high, and high school. You graduate, and summer comes, and it's your time, you and your friends together. Most of the kids around my neighborhood live by the window rule: stay in front where I can see you. So they play catch on the steps, football in the dusty tree boxes, right where mom or grandma can see them from the window. So when my summer camp starts up, I have a simple aim: 
get these kids off their front steps, off their block. The first day of camp, my co-leader and I line the kids up. Nine and ten-year-olds are in front, the slouching teenagers in back. And we start out, single file, in the marshy heat of the city. Past the document dealers on Columbia Road, the boarded-up Chinese restaurant, the boys selling weed. This is boring, mutters Jose. And Rafael says, can we go back? We haven't even started yet, I tell them. Oh, man. We keep on. Down past Quarry Road to where it dead ends. Along Harvard Street to the creek, where it slices under the roots of Osage trees. We stop for a rest in the shade, and the kids come alive. Skipping stones, turning over rocks. We went down, and uh, we got in the water. Um... We had fun in the water, we were splashing the water, and we seen, we, we seen a lot of animals in the water. I forgot the name of them, but... What did they look like? So, and we seen little fishes, and some of them looked like little kind of crabs. Crawdaddies. Delante had never seen crawdaddies, never tried to catch them. And this gets to me. Our neighborhood is two blocks from this huge swath of rugged woods called Rock Creek Park. 1,400 acres of woods. And most of these kids never go near it, never climb the trees or run down Snake Hill the way I did with my brothers. I think they're missing a part of growing up, having a ditch, a creek bank to call their own. So many of their adventures happen inside, inside their TVs, their PlayStations. Here's Tiny, my camp co-leader. For the most part, these kids, I don't think they really realize that these places are actually real. They just, they're like television, they're illusions to some degree until they actually go and touch and feel and see them for themselves. After our rest, we head up a dirt path towards a stand of trees I know well, where I've seen woodpeckers, cardinals, a great blue heron, and deer. As we climb up a rocky path, the complaints grow. How much longer? My feet hurt. I can't make it. The call of the wine. It was hard. Like, it was too long. We walked everywhere. I personally didn't like it because it was scary, and I didn't like the rocks and how they were. It felt like a mountain, even though most of us never been in a mountain, but uh, it was a lot of rocks, and you had to climb a lot. Now, this is a place I walk every day, my refuge. To the kids, though, it's a forced march. It feels like torture, like... I was in jail. We see a possum skeleton, and Malika bursts into tears. I take her hand and tell her what I love about the woods, how you can see daddy longlegs and caterpillars. And this just makes her cry harder, though. Behind us, Jane announces she can't go any further and gets 16-year-old Cedric, bless his heart, to carry her piggyback. I go and confer with Tiny. Maybe it's too much. Maybe we should turn back. You know, 10 years old is pretty young. Tiny answers with a long, hard stare. Don't ever expect an ex-soldier to cut you a break. Okay, okay, I say. And we keep going. Two miles, three miles, four. Antonio, a 13-year-old who's extremely overweight, starts limping and sniffling. And then these big, dripping tears come for almost an hour. Finally, I detour out of the park to 16th Street and flag down a cab and put Antonio in it. Hey, that's not fair, yell the other kids. And the last mile home is hiked in grumpy silence with the occasional, why can't we get a cab too? The next day, though, the next day, the hike is legendary. We walked 20 miles, the kids brag. Really, it was about five. We climbed a mountain. We survived. 
Our group has its own mythology now, and we invoke it all summer long. We tell and retell the story of our journey together. I'm Katie Davis from NeighborhoodStories.org. Links to the work you heard in this hour are all on HearingVoices.com. Hearing Voices specials are supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. Mix engineer is Robin Wise of SoundImagery.com. Executive producer is Barrett Golding. You just heard Old School that came to us from Hearing Voices on Cover to Cover Open Book. You heard poems and prose from Marin Cadell, Jelani, and Taylor Molly. Producer Hilary Frank gets the quiet kids to talk in the segment, Like I'm in a Bubble. Filmmaker Bas Lerman puts Mary Smith's sunscreen speech to music, and Katie takes her summer camp for a hike to Rock Creek. If you have any questions or comments about what you hear on Cover to Cover Open Book, you can call our listener comment line at 510-848-6767, extension 622, or email me, amelia at kpfa.org. With Erica Bridgman at the controls, I'm Amelia Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Compound, a substance composed of two or more elements chemically combined in definite proportions by weight. Mixture, two or more substances that are not chemically united, such as air. Solution, a uniform mixture of varying proportions of a solvent and a solute. Cuthbuck at the Crossroads is a unique opportunity to discover the dynamic art form of Cuthbuck, the classical dance of North India, with rapid footwork, pirouettes, and the storytelling of ancient epics. The three-day festival brings together artists, academics, and enthusiasts, featuring some of Cuthbuck's greatest masters, including Pandit Birju Maharaj, Pandit Chitresh Das, and Srimati Kumudini Lakia. Audiences will be treated to a performance by one of the last living courtesans, and get a glimpse of India Jazz Suites, a collaboration with Emmy Award-winning tap dancer Jason Samuel Smith. The festival follows the evolution of the art form, from wandering storytellers in North India 2,000 years ago to its place in the 